Guys, thanks for tuning in to episode eight of Justified Pursuit. Cable Smith, along with Chisholm Cook, and we've got an interesting conversation for you here today uh, regarding the Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. But before we get into that, uh, Chisholm, I know that you wanted to go back and uh, kind of let folks know that sometimes we make mistakes and we're aware of that. Uh, certainly not intentionally, but you've come up with uh, some show notes to kind of point people in the direction of when we do catch those mistakes, um, they can go and uh, make sure that we're checking ourselves and where can people find that? And, uh, and what are you doing on that front? Yeah, thanks. Okay. Well, um, we're adding the show notes. You'll definitely be able to access them, th- access them through, whatever podcast player you're using. Uh, I plan to have them actually with the episode on the website as well. So we're working on that. Um, got these the are all episode. Chisholm's mistakes, by the way. I, I don't think I've made any yet. So if I, no, really, no, no right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. It's true. Uh, the, the facts that you've thrown out, I think you <clears throat> have double checked them in advance where um, I've kind of gone off memory a lot. And it's funny. I mentioned this to you, in a little bit of show prep, but it's really funny to listen back to yourself and hear yourself say something that you know wasn't right when you said it. <laughs> uh, it's all right. been really minor stuff and it, it doesn't really mean that the point or the premise was wrong, just some very detail oriented stuff like, yeah, I have dates or something like that. Dates, you know, we were talking about, you know, the, the discovery of the new world and we mentioned Columbus in 1492. And then I said, and so I guess the, Nina Pinta and the Santa Maria would have come over in the 1500s. What I was talking about was the Mayflower and the pilgrims, obviously. Right. And, right. You know, just conflating things in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like you said, the, the show notes will not only provide links to some of the claims that we're making, some of the, uh, you know, some articles about these topics or actual- help validate that we're not a couple blowhards just on here talking about things we have no idea about. <laughs> right, exactly. Like whatever the premise is, you can read the art link, you know, to the article or the the study that we've cited, and you know, figure out the nitty gritty for yourself. Again, I, like the the only other one I maybe reference is that Hong Kong thing we talked about with regard to. I, I said that the Top Gun and on Top Gun Mavericks patch, they had to remove the Hong Kong flag. It was the Taiwanese flag, uh-huh. but it's the same basic premise. China right. has a problem with Taiwan, Taiwan and Hong Kong wants to own and rule them both. They're both free states. Someday we'll get into that too, because yeah. China will try to take them both over. There's no doubt about that. Well, I mean, they basically are trying to, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. again, like the premise was correct. The details were flawed. So mm-hmm. don't but, hang us for that. But. but Chisholm is adding those, uh, the corrections as we catch them. And those will be in the show notes for anyone that, uh, and, and like you said, the references, um, that's also very important. So people can, if they want to dive deeper into that topic or just kind of check us as, as far as, wonder if these guys really know what they're talking about. Uh, that is all there available for you on 
your podcast player of choice, you can find the hyperlinks there. So thanks for doing that, my friend. Uh, let's get rolling with today's conversation. It's obviously, um, and you and I have talked about this, but it's the one that I think is going to shape this election. Are you going to vote in favor of the Republicans and support this nomination of, of, in my opinion, a very qualified Supreme Court Justice nominee and Amy Coney Barrett? Or are you going to vote the other way and vote for the side that is not willing to say that they're, which we all know they're going to, they're going to try to pack the Supreme Court. Why else would they not answer the question, right, Chisholm? Right. Uh, you know, the ex explanation that, that we've been given from uh, the, the people the don't deserve ticket. to know. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that, that was a good one. Um, Thanks, Joe. He's obviously, he's obviously <laughs> tried to correct that since. Um, but, but yeah, this idea that, oh, people are voting right now, so we're not going to confuse the issue with this. It's like, no, that's this exactly why issue. you should tell us right now what right. your plan is so that people can make that decision as they're voting. I mean, it was to your point, it, it, at, at best, they're kind of just dangling it out there as a threat and trying to keep their, you know, the left wing of their their constituency, you know, engaged and excited because this is something the left wants, right? They, they would love to rule the world through a 15 human panel, right? That that. Yep. dictating to everyone how humans are to live in this society through a small group of hyper-educated Yale and Harvard, uh, you know, graduates is like the, you know, the left wing's dream. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not how our government was structured and the reasons why are obvious because, yes. you know, it's a big wide country and a lot of people with a lot of different views on life and, you know, no group that highly concentrated in ideology should be, I wouldn't say ideology, but, you know, it's just too much power in, in one place. And that's not what a judge is for. I mean, the well, let me, let's play the devil's advocate. And of course they're all pissed off because the Republicans have the opportunity to replace the great uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg with a Republican. And so if you're looking at it from their point of view, you know, you just said neither side should rule the world. Uh, well, that's kind of that. That's what they're afraid we're going to do. Wouldn't you think? Right. I, I would agree. Yes, that's that's that's, their, that's the easy thing for them to say. Right. But but the difference is the motivating principles behind the, the two philosophies. Right like I mentioned on sort of closing out the last call, the concern of the left with a quote unquote conservative justice is that they will not expand the law beyond what was written. Mm -hmm. Again, the, the Democrats know that a great number of their policies, their most um, sort of sought after, you know, social justice policies in particular are not always popular enough to pass muster through the legislature, right? And, and we've got a couple of cases we can talk about that can highlight that and, and we'll get to that. But so, so where they're not popular enough to, you know, pass a vote in the House, a, you know, mirror vote in the Senate and then get a president to sign off on, sign off on, how do they get what they want done? The only other way is through judicial activism. They want judges who will take the pulse of society in a given moment and say, what 
areas are we lacking in and how can we push progress forward to, you know, make for a more equitable uh, utopia, right? Mm -hmm. But that, that's not the job of the judge. That's no. the job of the legislature, the job of the, the job of the judge and anybody who ever faces a legal matter, anybody who has ever faced a legal matter would certainly appreciate this. And anybody who could potentially face a legal matter needs to understand it. And that's basically all of us because, you know, you could end up in a car accident and be sued. You've almost everybody listening has probably had a ticket, right? We face legal matters all the time. You want an impartial judge who's going to look at the law that applies to the facts of your situation and apply it in a vacuum without any sort of ancillary outside social justice context. And I'm only using social justice. It, it could be a number of different things. That right. seems to be the, the context in which it comes up in the most, right? But mm -hmm. in order for us to have an orderly society where we have a, an understanding of our rights and, and our boundaries, you have to have judges that apply the law that exists. If they're making up law, then we don't know what's right and wrong. Yeah. We don't know when we've broken a law or when we've wronged somebody civilly that could, could bring rise to a lawsuit, right? Right, right. It, it's just, it just Supreme shouldn't Court be... is the apex of this. And then you, you, you talk about law right. and order. Well, it funnels down to your, you know, your everyday uh, police force and name the city. And then you look at the ones where law and order are now void. It's where they've defunded the police. So, yeah, you, you absolutely have to have someone interpret the law, and then you have to have someone to enforce it. Right, and you have to have somebody to write it. And those three things are all separate. The important one to me is the distinction between those who write the law and those who, who read and you know, interpret and apply it. Yeah, that's that's the real critical distinction in, in this particular conversation, as far as I see it. Yeah, <clears throat> well, you have a a legal background, uh, so you're certainly more uh, well versed in the minutia of the judiciary than I ever could be. Uh, but just from the layman's perspective, she seems like a hell of a candidate. Uh, number one, she's a woman, so the left can't bitch about that because they're replacing. A legend. And whether you love or hate um, Justice Ginsburg doesn't matter to me. She, she was a, a very progressive justice. I, I look at the way that her and, and Scalia, who were on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they seemed to, to get along swimmingly uh, regardless. So she was very well respected. And here we are replacing her with a woman who I think has been a judge for 17 years. Um, is female and when it comes to diversity much has been made about the fact that she has two adopted uh, I, I don't know if, if Haitians are technically would be labeled black um, but certainly dark skinned and she has seven kids and she's adopted two more because of hard times that, th that these kids fell on in Haiti so as far as diversity is concerned I don't see how they could really point the finger at that either to me, it seems like Trump made a great nominee, a great nomination here. I mean, I certainly agree uh, with with. Do you call it an appointment or a nomination? Either way, uh, it, yeah, it's a six one way, half a dozen the other. I have to actually check the Constitution. I'm not sure which way they refer to it. It has to be, you know, confirmed by the Senate. So, yeah. um, 
probably a nomination. I'd have to I'd have to go back to the the text of the Constitution just to see how they phrased it. But either right. way, it's something put before the Senate that the Senate then has to actually the term in this in the document is consent. President appoints and the and the Senate can consents yeah. almost as if and that's that's actually a, a it's not really the topic today. But there's a whole you know legal sort of theoretical discussion out there among constitutional law dorks that <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, about what it actually meant to say the word consent. There's at least a impression there that the actual intention was not for it to become this partisan, you know, S show that it's become, but more that it's a strange term, right? Cause it's like, what is the point of the Senate if it's being told by the, in this, in this context, if the constitution tells them you are to consent to the pick, right? right. So that's why it's, it's sort of evolved into a confirmation. Although, that kind of cuts to the heart of, you know, Amy Coney Barrett's judicial philosophy versus RGB's versus Scalia's, et cetera. But, um, you know, to, something else you said that, that sort of just resonates with me at the moment is, yeah, the president is nominating to replace a, a female justice with another female justice. That looks on its face like it serves a sort of social justice like end right? right and yet the left is still quite upset about it why because well she may be a female but ideologically she doesn't match rgb she doesn't hold the same views personally or legally and there's a difference there and she was very strong on the distinction during her hearings last week which i give her all the credit in the world for they they, they asked her specifically what are your thoughts on this? What are your personal beliefs on this? And she refused to answer that, citing the fact that her personal opinions don't matter when interpreting the letter of the law. Right. And they can't, right? That, that, again, that's, that's the point. But they would love to throw right. in you know, six I more mean, judges whose personal opinions absolutely. is all that they base their, uh, their decisions that, on. That is the difference between the left and right on this issue, mm -hmm. is that a proper conservative, you know, textualist judge is never going to bring their personal opinions. In fact, Antonin Scalia is the model for this type of justice in modern day. And, you know, there's a famous case that any conservative cites to a flag burning case, I believe in the late seventies where Scalia, you know, sided with the majority in determining that burning the American flag is an exercise of free speech under the first amendment. He wrote what, what's called in, the Supreme Court world, uh, well, and appellate courts in general, a concurring opinion. You know, every of the every one of the nine justices can kind of weigh in on these decisions, right? And when it's a say a, a five four split, then somebody will write a dissenting opinion, explaining those four who dissented the rationale for why they didn't follow the the majority. But you can also have like multiple opinions on, you know, among those who voted for it. And so in this instance, I'm talking about. Scalia wrote a concurring opinion where he explained, I don't like this personally. I find it abhorrent. We should have more pride in the United States and you know, be proud of the symbol uh, of our nation, of our patriotism that the flag represents. Mm -hmm. But the law is the law. And this is clearly within the First Amendment. So it is what it is, right? And, and, that, and that's, I mean, in a nutshell, a perfect example of the difference between a a constitutional, uh, you know, a textualist conservative, you know, judicial approach and someone who says, the law doesn't really say it, but we're going to 
call it a tax and that's going to make it fly. This is the, the Affordable Care Act decision, right? The Obamacare mm-hmm. decision that Chief Justice Roberts, a Republican appointee, uh, you know, his rationale for upholding that back in 20, uh, what would it have been like 11, I guess, Probably, uh, yeah. somewhere around there, you know, by, by, by just determining that the, um, you know, the, the law originally had like a, a penalty if you didn't have insurance, right? Uh, if you didn't have it provided by your employer, you had to buy it. And that's where they created the, you know, the exchange. You could buy the government plan or you could buy a regular plan. But one way or another, if you didn't, then you had to pay a penalty. Well, it would have been unconstitutional if they had called it a penalty. So he read into the law something that wasn't there, calling it a tax and, and upheld it to hmm. keep from totally disrupting, you know, the entire structure, which at that point, you know, was was two or three years into practice, right? And um, yeah, that, again, that, that's just, that's a fundamental distinction. The idea that, yeah. that, a, that a conservative judge is going to check his emotions, feelings, and beliefs about a topic at the door and apply the law. And an activist judge is going to bring all that to bear and, you know, may rewrite law to fit their vision of the future. Yeah. And again, yeah. That, that's what our legislature's for. And there are many examples in Supreme Court jurisprudence where the court said, we think this is a valid and valuable thing that's, you know, that, that this party is advocating in this matter. However, we don't have any law that supports their position. So we, they'll, they'll recommend to the legislature formally, in their opinion, legislature needs to take this up, figure it out. Yeah. Do you think the left fears, let's just say progress in general, the progress that they've made when it comes to new laws, things like gay marriage, abortion, uh, hot button issues in that vein. Do you think that they fear that the Republican party will try to go rewrite that progress? And do you think that they should? Uh, they definitely fear that. Yeah. They, they're, you know, they're clearly afraid that um, this particular appointment will create such a strong, conservative uh, uh, majority on the Supreme Court that they'll go back and, you know, turn over Roe versus Wade, turn over uh, that, that can, the case we were just talking about uh, that upheld the Affordable Care Act or strike it down from some other challenge, like the fact that they've, I don't know all the ins and outs, but basically, you know, it's been changed by the current legislature and administration some. And, and so there's becomes a question of like, can the act stand if you've chipped away pieces of it? And mm-hmm. um, anyway, that, that that's their concern that some of the quote unquote progress that has been made would be overturned. Yeah. But the reality is that's extraordinarily unlikely. Like it yeah. really is the, the odds that, that this court are going to overturn Precedent certainly as old now as Roe versus Wade, decades old, is not very high. But like I've t- like we talked about, um, I guess on the VP debate recap, everybody has the wrong impression and understanding of Roe versus Wade in the first place. The states of New York, Maryland, California, Oregon, Minnesota, every other state that wants the right, Virginia, and Governor Northam wants the right to abort babies nine full months into pregnancy would still be able to do that if they overturn Roe versus Wade in its entirety tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The question is, would states like Texas, 
Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, states where it's much more unpopular than it is nationally, would be able to regulate. I mean, basically, the, that, that law says, that law, that, that case says that it doesn't put a hard and fast limit on where states can begin regulating, but it kind of says like before 18 weeks is uh, really none of the state's business. And so that's the other screwy thing about Roe versus Wade is it's kind of open-ended. They didn't say like, we hereby determine that 18 weeks is the magic time. Mm -hmm. They just sort of said there's a point at which regulation of abortion becomes appropriate. We don't think the first trimester is that. Yeah. Well, you know, fast forward, I need to look up when it was decided, but fast forward a couple of several decades. And, you know, we're at a point now where a 22 week pregnancy can have, you know, that, where a woman can have a, uh, a premature delivery in 22, 23, 24 weeks, and the baby can survive and be perfectly fine. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it really drives that question home of when is it a life? When does it deserve protection? This is such a hot. Uh, yeah. A hot button issue and we can, yeah, we can personal opinion. No, it's okay. I wanted to. Uh, I know uh, my neighbor who who I respect. Uh, he's been listening to. I think he's listened to each episode. And we went out to dinner the other day. Uh, we wore masks into the restaurant and then took them off like normal people and actually sat down and ate. We didn't adhere to uh, the California governor's advice that you should <laughs> put your mask on and in between bites, you know, chew with your mask on type of stuff. Uh, we didn't. You know, we didn't get into that, but. Uh, he, you know, we started talking about abortion and, and I'm more, I'm more accepting on that topic because, uh, he told me, he's like, no, it's a life, no abortions. Okay. And I get it. It's from a, uh, a religious, I think, you know, he's looking at it from a religious standpoint. And I brought up the topic of rape and circumstances like that. And, and he was like, no, it's a hard line, no abortion. I'm like, if someone is raped, man, they didn't ask for that. They didn't bring that on themselves. I, I, you know, I have to say that that at that point in time, it is a woman's body. Uh, I know that there's, you know, a life still in there, but I got to let her make that decision. And people might be kind of like, well, okay, but what the hell are you talking about? It's a, you know, it's a life, but I'm pretty liberal on social issues like that and gay marriage. I don't, I don't, it doesn't really bother me. It's not, uh, I believe at the end of the day, you're going to answer for your own sins, whatever those are. Uh, and that'll be between you and the man up, upstairs and, what I care about is, is the Second Amendment and big government, uh, which is why, you know, when it's time to go to the poll, I'm going to punch straight Republican ticket. Uh, and there's, you know, there's just no other way around it for me on that. But, yeah, abortion is such a big issue in our society. And who knows? I, I think a, a third trimester abortion is, is pretty abhorrent myself. Uh, you know, you had Hillary on the uh, going back to one of the reasons why you decided not to vote for her was her saying, you know, up to the day before delivery, which I think is absurd, right? I don't understand how it can't be. Like, I, yeah. you know, I, I have a case. What's you, you the difference? They, if they're handing you a, a newborn baby, one day before that, it was really the same baby. It was of just it was. inside the womb, and now it's outside of the womb. Well, that's why I, I brought up. changed. Right. That's why I bring up how soon a, a baby can survive outside of the womb, right? I mean, it, yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts on all that. And then I want to use the second amendment as a sort of a test case for this difference in judicial philosophy. So uh, first of all, you know, when it comes to the philosophical and theological concerns with regard to abortion, I I'm of the opinion 
you know, Ben Shapiro talks about this all the time, and I agree with him 100%, that your neighbor's approach is the only 100% um, sort of clean, principled, logical approach to the matter. It's either, either a human life or it's not. And if it's a human life to parse out where it became a human life from conception through to, to your point, the last month of a, of a pregnancy when it's undeniably a fully formed baby yeah. that can survive outside the womb is really a, you know, it's a exercise in sort of mental gymnastics. All that being said, I'm able to hold, I guess, differing views, some level of cognitive dissonance on this topic. I mentioned Dave Rubin in a recent podcast, he, you know, he, he, he acknowledges the tension in saying up until let's say 18 weeks, I'll leave it up to the mother. I don't want to have to go through, I don't think it's necessary or even maybe proper to go through the rigmarole of, you know, parsing out individual circumstances like rape and incest and all that stuff. Just say, you know, there's a period of time where this thing is a developing, it's a developing organism. And, and while I still consider it a human life, you know, it, it's clear as day, it's a divisive issue and that a, a big chunk of the country feels that um, there's some, that it, that it should be allowed in certain instances. I double checked the, the, the studies on that or the, the polling on that. And it, I was right, somewhere around two thirds of America believes that some regulation on abortion is necessary. Mm -hmm. um, you pick it apart and, you know, the reality is it looks like the majority feel that in that first, say, 12 to 18 weeks, kind of stay out of it, right? Well, but you get past that and people's every week past that or every month for sure past that, the polling gets stronger and stronger to where, you know, you're talking 80 plus percent of Americans agree that in the ninth month, you leave the thing alone. It's yeah. a baby now, right? Um, yeah. Well, and if you, I mean, at the end of the day, you're probably just a piece of shit if you're willing to do that at, at nine months. So, well, I mean, we know what Governor Ralph Northam from Virginia said about how, you know, a botched abortion, what you do with a baby that has come out and is, an, is alive, but that wasn't the intent. Uh, I mean, just Google partial birth abortion and see what they say about it. I'd rather it. They, not. I think it's too depressing. Yeah. I mean, it, that, again, that, 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 that's, I, I watched this clip the other, the other day of this lady just like vociferously just wildly making the case on CNN that this is not a life. It's not a human life. It's just not a life. I, I, and it's just like, oh. I don't understand where, you, you know, I just don't. Well, uh, you know, the one hang up I have as a staunch conservative is, you know, I just said, I, I hate big government, but at the end of the day, abortion is the definition of one side trying to tell the other side what they can and can't do. So that dude, is again, that is a weird conundrum as a conservative. It's like, hey, hey, I don't know. I hate big government. Stay out of uh, people's personal business. And then, if, and then we're also sitting there saying, but don't have an abortion. It's, so, not a cons it's not a conundrum if you think that that is a human life, right? Yeah. Because there's no right that an American has that says you can murder an innocent person, right? And, you know, like we've talked about, unless you're exercising castle doctrine type stuff where somebody's threatening your family, your livelihood on your property, Murder et cetera, is still right? A crime. All, unlike looting and burning. Exactly. <laughs> what this is, you know, they say, oh, it's a woman's right to choose. It's a woman's right to choose to terminate a human life. That's what it is. And I, I, I believe that right now. Again, I can carve out exceptions and I can, you know, defend 
I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that I can fully defend it, but, but I, I'm willing to accept a certain amount of it at, up to a certain point. But there's a point beyond which I don't see how you can't call it murder. And yeah. therefore, it's not, it's, it's not a big government issue. The government is protecting the right of that unborn child to a life. That's not big government. That's the same as the government, as the you know, government stepping in and saying they're going to protect any of the rest of our lives from violence, from harm, right through the legal system. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's leave this here. Yeah. There's there's something and, else I wanted to mention on the diversity issue. Yeah. Because this this entire show is not about abortion. It's about Amy right. Coney Barrett. Oh, uh, you did say though that you had something regarding the uh, Second Amendment that you wanted to make a uh, a point about. Yeah, I want to get to that. Um, on the diversity issue, the, the, the left would say, well, RBG was this, you know, staunch leftist and you're replacing her with a staunch, you know, uh, textualist in the mold of Scalia. It doesn't matter that they're both women. Uh, it's, a, it's a shifting of the balance. Well, the reality is that under the Obama administration, we got Justices Kagan and Sotomayor. And those two ladies make RBG, you know, look like Ted Cruz. Like they're, I'm serious. They're as left as they can possibly be. So what I, my, my point is like when Scalia passed four years ago, I looked at that and thought, you know, if Obama would appoint another Scalia type textualist, that'd be the right thing to do because having that voice on the court, it was crucial. Right. Right. Now that they could make the same argument, like, well, you had justice Thomas, right. They, Justice Clarice Thomas and Scalia have very, very close uh, approaches. They're not identical. They don't overlap 100%. Um, anyway, you know, obviously he promoted Merrick Garland and, you know, the Senate didn't take it up. It was controlled by the Republicans. But he did make the That's appointment. Forward. And people in the left wants to bitch about Trump making the appointment. I mean, it's it, – and he was very clear. Hey, you elected me president for four years, not for – uh, three years and nine months. So it's his, I mean, it's his job to make that appointment, whether the Senate uh, accepts it or not. I mean, why would he not make that? And then you and I talked about it when the day that she died, we were texting each other and it was like, Oh my God, this is huge. And then I was like, maybe should the Republicans take the high road and just let the, you know, let the election take its course. And of course not. They shouldn't. Do you, do you think that the Democrats would, for one second, not be making the appointment? No. Uh, no, of course they would. You know, they, they've it's the made, president's job. Right. They've made their case that I think this has happened 28 times in American history, if I'm not mistaken, where you had a seat become open in an election year. And 10 times the same party held both the presidency and the Senate, and nine of those 10 times the choice was confirmed. Yeah. The one example where it wasn't during the hearings, it came up that there was a massive ethics violation. And so they basically weren't able to even get, you know, it, basically everybody pulled out on it, right? Because it was, yeah. he, the person wasn't turned out to be a terrible choice. And so they, I don't actually know, you know, what basically was... that position got filled after that election. But the, but the point is history supports this approach in the right. 18 times where it wasn't uh, where you had two different parties in control of the, the, the two different branches, then um, something like half of them, he, uh, that, that position that he, you know, the person was not confirmed, right? So it, this is in line, and they have the argument that like, listen, 
in Obama's words, elections have consequences. Two years ago, in 2018, the Republicans held the Senate. Four years before that, President Trump won the presidency. Those two, the same party now holds those two offices today. And even though there's election in a month, we can re rely on the last election. The case I was making before was strategically, would it be of value to sort of show some consistency in from four years ago to this year? I, I was of the opinion, I still think it, it would have maybe been a worthwhile roll of the dice, that leaving this issue hanging in the balance would have basically been a, a, <laughs> a Trump card for Trump. Because um, I, I think the last election largely came down to this judge issue. Uh, I think this election is, is likely to come down for, to this judge issue as well. And thankfully, the, the Democrats have basically thrown a, a lifeline <laughs> to the Republicans in that they're threatening this court packing thing. And so even without the position being open, because they're going to have it filled, now the issue is, do we let the Democrats pack the court? Whereas to me, if you had said, we're going to leave RGB's seat open, um, America, go out and vote on who you want to appoint the next Supreme Court justice. I think that would have gotten a lot of never Trump conservatives. Uh, they would have had to have dug real deep to justify losing RGB's seat uh, to support a Biden-Harris ticket or third-party ticket versus uh, going ahead because of Trump's record on this on this judge issue mm -hmm. and you know voting for his reelection, I, I think it might have been enough. Either way, I, I, lo looking back on it, I think they. I think they probably did the right thing. I know, I know they did the right thing. You don't have an opportunity to, you know, replace a, an RBG with a root with an Amy Coney Barrett very often. Right. Um, right. Although what, no different than what the hell was Kamala Harris talking about in the vice presidential debate? And we didn't get into this on the last one. I didn't think it was uh, pertinent to the conversation, but she tried to reference Abraham Lincoln, old honest Abe, she called him and that he took the high road and didn't, use his, his authority to make an appointment in an election year? I, I don't know historically. I didn't research that. But uh, she certainly brought it up, and I have no idea if it's true or not. But I don't know if you do either. Yeah, I, you know what? I didn't go back and fact check it. Um, but I remember hearing something about it being basically sort of misleading at best. I'm sure she manipulated what really I think happened. that might have been. I mentioned there, were, there was one instance of out of 10 where these facts aligned where you had – same party holding both, you know, both the Senate and the presidency. Uh -huh. It, it might have been that case that was this ethics violation, but we can. Okay, so she left out the ethics violation. And, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll we'll, find something on it and put it in the show notes. Yeah, sounds good. Um, as far as Amy Coney Barrett herself, the fact that she's able to have this career and be now appointed to the highest court in the most powerful country in the world and still hold down a household of seven kids. And, and I mean, I think you take it a step further. Look at how she came to the, uh, the hearings, no notes, blank notepad. Didn't, I mean, she seems very well put together to be able to manage her everyday personal life and also her career. Um, I think she's uh, very well put together. There's no doubt. She's brilliant. Um, that to, I look to, at my wife to, trying to hold down a household of three kids, and I'm like, "Whoa, lady, you deserve a freaking shitload of credit for that." Seven? Are you kidding me? 
Yeah, she's she's a she's like a. She's and my like wife a works full time too, yeah, just yeah. like her. Yes. Your wife. Yeah, your the, wife has four to deal with. I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> right. This 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 lady that I listened to on a particular podcast kind of made the point like as awesome as that is for what she thinks of as as like the, the sort of the the, the perfect representation of, of like feminism having both right being a mother and a just absolutely kick-ass career woman you know her take was like you can't exactly look at her as a role model because <laughs> not everybody can do what she's pulling off right i mean it's 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 amazing and to your point though to, to spend three days getting grilled by the senate uh, and go in there with nothing at all to reference and just do it all from basically when it came to the case law memory, when it came to philosophy, you know, from the gut, dude, I, mean, I heard a number of people say she was clearly the smartest woman in that room, a room that included Ted Cruz, right? Who's say what you will about his policies, certifiably, certifiably a brilliant human, right? Um, she's super impressive, man. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's hard to argue that she was the right choice and she handled herself with extraordinary grace and tact, even in the face of some absurd questions like Senator Maisie Hirono asking her if she'd ever sexually assaulted somebody because she, quote, asks every judicial nominee that. Give me a break. Come on. Right. Take this, you know, like, I don't know if you saw that, but it, I did. It was absurd. She asked her back to back questions about her record of sexual assault. And it was like, yes, this lady you know, has a, a long history of settlements of sexual assault cases in her background. <laughs> it's absurd. <sighs> anyway, to kind of wrap up my thought a minute ago, the the left's position is well represented in the Supreme Court if Amy Coney Barrett gets confirmed. It, it remains so. Uh, like I said, you've got Sotomayor and, and Justice Kagan to make the RBG case. Um, so, you know, this is just... The, evolu- the court evolves and it always has like the judicial philosophy of the court swings and, and, and it's large part just due to this sort of thing, a matter of timing, right? Like who's in charge at the time when seats come available and what's their agenda and therefore they make selections according to that agenda. And, you know, so you see over the years more activists, Supreme courts, and then at times more conservative Supreme courts. And I think this is with some of the things in the balance right now, you, you mentioned gay marriage earlier, right? I'm of the opinion that the Supreme Court stepping in and saying that banning that that states are not allowed to ban gay marriage was a perfectly uh, you know, a perfectly good example of up, upholding the uh, equal protection under the laws, you know, constitutionally speaking. That being said, you shouldn't be able to tell my church they have to host that wedding, right? Absolutely not. That tramples all over their right to practice religious uh, freedoms however they see fit. There's a difference between, you know, a religious institution that is okay conducting same-sex marriages, certainly going to the justice of the peace and having just a secular governmental entity conduct that ceremony versus, you know, some sort of more fundamentalist, uh, you know, faith group being told, well, you're... uh, you're, you're, you're bigoted and you're being bigoted and not, not conducting this. Like that's, that's the kind of, that's, that's sort of the next frontier of that issue. 
You know, it started with the cake baking cases that I'm sure you've heard about coming out of Colorado and Oregon, right? Where, you know, religious individuals were being forced to bake cakes for, for gay weddings. And, right. and the truth is there were gay couples that were deliberately going out and finding businesses like that in order to force the issue, right? I mean, that's judicial activism in the extreme. When a gay couple says, we know that this, you know, cake baker in the mountains in Colorado, I don't know where exactly the case was, might've been Colorado Springs, I don't know. You know, but this, this person who holds themselves out as running a Christian business, we're gonna go antagonize that person by saying, hey, we want you to, well, in fact, what had happened in Colorado, I think uh, either Oregon or Washington as well, was, you know, pretty quickly after the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage, there was laws passed in the more, you know, left-leaning states to basically say it would be, you know, illegal and, you know, this and potentially subject someone to, you know, civil and even criminal penalties if they refuse service to a gay couple on religious grounds, which then, again, you had gay couples under that protection deliberately going out and seeking those services from that type of business in order to create the kind of conflict that would then take that matter before the Supreme Court ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a perfect example of judicial activism. A law gets passed, it restrains the rights of one party, but you know, to the benefit of another party, the, the, the benefited party goes and deliberately you know, picks a fight with the newly restrained party, and the matter goes to the Supreme Court. And you know, our right to freedom of religion is in our constitutional jurisprudence, just like equal protection. So kind of like what we talked about with Second Amendment issues and no-knock warrants, there is is a conflict there. But that comes down to, does anybody have the right to dictate to a person what they're required to do? And I'm of the opinion, no, it it, absolutely shouldn't. That's big government. If, a, if an individual church doesn't want to conduct those types of marriages, so be it. Their congregation may suffer. They may be looked at as bigoted. You know, the free market will sort of decide where they land, but that's free exercise of religion. So Chisholm, I grew up in a, a Southern Baptist church in Dallas, Texas, uh, Wilshire Baptist Church, and I'm, no, I'm not a member there anymore, uh, but, you know, my parents, um, they're, they're very conservative, as is most of the church. The church however it's very progressive and i think it was like five years ago they my dad's a deacon there and they decided to vote as a congregation which i think is great because they let the congregation decide uh, but whether or not to allow openly gay couples and they to get married specifically right do what to get married in the church right not like to just join the congregation uh, I think that, you know, there were gay people in the church when I was a kid and right. we just kind of assumed they weren't like openly like, you know, flamboyant about it. Um, but I think oh, this was okay. more along the lines of we're going to allow them to say, yeah, we're gay and, or, and get married. I just think it was to be all encompassing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But okay. Right. And they, they decided yeah. they voted in favor of it. Um, well, a third of the church left. You said there are, you know, there are consequences. Um, and people that had been there, 50 years just upped and, you know, went to other churches. So it is, uh, it is the churches ultimately, 
their decision on whether they want to do that. If it's in their doctrine, fine. If it's not, you can't force them. You can't force a religious institution to accept something that is 100% against what they believe. So, right. you know, I, I mean, that's a, that's an awesome example of what I was getting at as far as, you know, sort of the free market element of it. And, you know, to me, it would just take, it would take an activist, this activist decision to rule that a church has to provide gay marriage ceremonies, given that, you know, our free exercise of religion is a protected constitutional right. Like, uh, that's, it's just, you packed the Supreme court with, Six uh, liberal justices, I guarantee you, they'd strike that down. Say, oh, that's uh, unconstitutional. You can't do that. And now you're telling religious entities what they can and can't do, which is against the Constitution. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, similarly, to transition over to the Second Amendment thing, if you're ready to go there. Yeah. Let's you go. Know, I love the Second Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. We, we talked about... I'm, I've got a 45 on my hip right now. <clears throat> I've uh, <laughs> got my microphone sitting on top of my little case con- that, that holds uh, my Glock inside of it. So yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <clears throat> um, I, I do think the second amendment is definitely one area where this understanding of different philosophies derives. And one of the areas where the left is most anxious to pack the court and undermine Second Amendment rights, like we detailed in episode two. Shoot him in the kneecap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the, that came out this past week. I was uh I actually was in New Mexico uh in the backcountry hunting and I came back to that audio video gold from Joe uh saying, Yeah, just uh we should train officers to shoot him in the kneecap. Bad guys don't get the luxury of being shot in an appendage, they get center mass all day. Every day. If you don't want a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's... Shoot him in the kneecap. <laughs> okay, Joe. It's not super germane to where we're going, we're going here, but to your point, like... I thought it was funny. <laughs> I, 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 I heard it and thought, I wonder how much that helped him with the folks that are taking issue with policing. Like, I'm pretty sure that Black Lives Matter is not down with the idea of just shoot him in the kneecap any more than they are. <laughs> shoot him in the chest. So, right. you know, I, I think that the conservative leaning people in America, law and order leaning people rolled their eyes just like you and I did and thought it was ridiculous. But I, I think that the more leftist, you know, anti, I say anti-authority, they certainly want their own version of authority, but um, weren't any more impressed with it. You know, it's just another great example of Biden being a dope. Um, but anyway, back to the second amendment as it pertains to Supreme court decision-making, right? It, we, we, we broke it down last time. A well-regulated militia, it starts with, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So like we talked about, we, we, the gun rights act, you know, activists have, in my opinion, undermined their own position over the years by getting more into self-defense and, and away from uh, that text there that I just read. And an activist judge could look at that text and say, that's just not the case anymore. That was written at an antiquated time, you know, going on 250 years ago. And since then we have built the uh, greatest military the land has ever, the world has ever seen. 
that's what, how we protect our quote free state. So therefore these well-regulated militias are no longer necessary. They already make that argument. Yeah. Um, therefore the right of the people to keep and bear arms is no longer necessary. They're, they've all covered that. But a textualist would say, first and foremost, it's in the constitution. Therefore it takes a constitutional amendment, which requires a full two thirds vote of the Senate, which I don't know when the last time we got two thirds of the Senate to vote on. Right. There's been some things, but, you know, obviously that wouldn't happen, right? 67 votes in favor of abolishing that constitution. That's what a strict textualist would say would be necessary. Furthermore, they would get into the meaning of that statement at the time it was written and, you know, explain the beliefs of Jefferson, Madison, going back to Locke, all, you know, all of the thinkers and philosophers that put that <clears throat> that phrase in there and, and the rationale for it and th what they would find would be yeah the the words meant exactly what they meant they were intended exactly as they were intended and those you know first of all it doesn't really matter what's evolved since then but but second of all it's still relevant today if oh, the yeah. if the united I states government really was to shift more relevant to right. be honest with you as we keep <laughs> going down this path of because I don't think, um, let's just say, and I haven't asked my dad, who grew up in the 60s, if people were trying to take guns away from law-abiding citizens back then. But I bet you his answer would be, no, we, nobody ever really thought about it, right? People Anybody who was wasn't getting the same level of traction. attention and traction. Yeah, I mean, my guess would be there were polite, high-society dinner parties in Manhattan going back a long, long way where they were complaining about all these uh, you know, <laughs> these ruffians, uncivilized ruffians toting around their arms. But, you know, yeah. Stephen Ranella, who we're both big fans of from, from Meteor, right? He talks about, and I know lots of people who talk about having, you know, a gun in the rack behind their head in, their, in an old single cab pickup at school waiting to go shoot some squirrels afterward, right? Right. Uh, right. That, that, that just, you know, most boys during hunting season had a gun in, in high school, you know, some places up and through the eighties. So, um, yeah, I, I, my guess is there were those clamoring for it, but obviously it didn't have anywhere near the traction. The point being, it's just going one direction. So you think about it as, as this continues to go one direction, these guys sitting around a table 200 plus years ago to have the foresight to say, Hey, these people are going to need something to protect their right to protect themselves, uh, from, tyranny first right. and foremost and then you know personal property uh personal protection it's just a byproduct of it but for them to know that someday this is going to be paramount i mean it's pretty mind-blowing how how smart our our forefathers were uh absolutely man which is why it's the greatest country in the world right and why i think that um the principles held within both the declaration of independence and the constitution were divinely inspired because they're they're nearly perfect and they we've talked about it there weren't they it, 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 that structure was not without its warts early on right the three-fifths clause etc but starting the whole thing off with you know an understanding that all men are cre created equal and then building from there ha has gotten us to where we are today 
But yeah, that foresight, I mean, you know, that plus you look at Benjamin Franklin's statement that he who would give up liberty in the interest of security will gain neither and lose both. You know, basically ever since 9-11 up through today with COVID-19, I can't think of any truer words, right? Giving up our liberties in the interest of safety and safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Which appear as though we're getting it either. Our topic for next week's show, actually. Right. Yeah. Um, so we're just wrapping things up here. Uh, going back to Amy or Coney Barrett, anything else you want to add on that front? Like, obviously, we both think she's the perfect choice. Uh, got all the bases covered, which was intentional by Trump, had to be. And, uh, you know, going back to the two things that people want to harp on, seems like today is uh, feminism and diversity. Oh. They tried to argue with those uh, pillars, but at the end of the day, you can't because she checks all the boxes. Yeah, and I mean, I think the good news for Republicans is that as of, I think, like last week, 55 plus percent of Americans, according to recent polling, supported her confirmation. Um, So, you know, that pretty much indicates that people got a chance to check her out and said, okay, she seems like a great candidate. And, you know, it also, in my opinion, seems to indicate that the argument that the Republicans made as to why they should be able to push forward with this based on history resonated. Uh, So that's good. Beyond that, I would just reiterate that judicial activism is a means by which the left utilizes a branch of the government to create law that was only intended to interpret law. And I, I think the most important thing to consider there is that the more laws we have, the less freedom we have. And big government, baby. That's right. I made this case to a a good friend of mine the other day as it relates to the conversation about racial issues over the course of the summer. If you were to add up all of the local, state, and federal laws and regulations that have ever been passed in American history that applied specifically, say, to you know, black people in America, how many of those laws hurt the black community versus helped? I don't have a way to prove it. I haven't, I, I may do some research to see if there's an analysis of that out there, but I'm pretty confident in saying that I would assume there's nearly tenfold more laws and regulations that were put on the books in this country over the years that hurt black people versus helped them. Right. And so the reason that the lawmaking is left to the legislature is that in order to if it's important enough to get a majority of both houses of Congress and the president all to sign off on it, then it's important, mm-hmm. right? It's something that there's broad agreement on. And that's the kind of laws we want to pass. Allowing the, leg- the judiciary, which is intended only to interpret those laws that have been passed by the legislature, to make law up out of whole cloth to suit their political agenda is, a f- first of all, a form of tyranny. But second of all, it's, an, it's a surefire way of laws that do not have broad consensus making their way into our judicial system. And that just is a stripping of liberty. The more laws that we pile on, the less freedom we have, which is why that separation of powers is crucial. Yeah. Now more than ever. Well, Chisholm, I think that about does it for today, man. A great conversation. Certainly looking forward to the confirmation of uh, future Chief Justice Amy Coney Barrett. I think she's the right woman for the job. 
Uh, I know you agree as well. Uh, next week, we are going to, and this stems from, well, the last seven months of hell we've all been living in, uh, but I was in New Mexico last week, and I, I got to tell you, man, some just insane propaganda, insane laws that these people are living under. Uh, they seem more like um, subjects than they do citizens. So we're going to take on the, uh, the current state of the coronavirus coming up next week. I know you're excited about that as well. Excited is probably the wrong word. Enraged. <laughs> Enraged. It gets you excited. It gets your blood pumping. It definitely gets yeah. me worked up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me too. And uh, having just been subjected to it for the last week, uh, I've got some, some hot sports opinions on that. Y'all, thanks for tuning in. We will get some uh, justified pursuit, like legit email addresses as we're working through things you might have noticed we're not on spotify yet we're on uh, apple podcast we're sorting that out as well but uh, in the meantime you can find me at lone star outdoors show at gmail.com or if you want to hit up chisholm he's at chisholm l cook that's cook with an e at yahoo.com that is going to do it for episode eight of justified pursuit for chisholm cook i'm cable smith uh, thanks for tuning in and we will see you guys next week